Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Hope you're doing well. And uh, man, if you're a regular attender, Kevin Miller can talk about missions any day of the week, can't he? Yeah, I mean, I, no, I'm just saying that because maybe this is like just like Kevin. He's just, I'm in the back going, come on, Kevin. Just, I, I'm surprised he didn't like pass the plate right then and there and make you guys give, have people at the door, something like that. And it's always about missions. And so I uh, love that. Love that about Kevin. Kevin's always in my office asking for money for missions. Hey, I've got this project. Hey, there's this missionary going to the field. Uh, literally, we, would have, we, we, we wouldn't have anything if, if it was up to Kevin. We would just all go, and we just pray about it. And he just tells me I need to have more faith. So anyhow, so uh, good, 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 good. Hope you guys are enjoying spring. Yes? No? Mm, it's nice, huh? I love it, man. This is great. Lawnmowers going and weed eaters going. Everything's going. I'm sleeping. I'm just having a good time. And, uh, no, I've been out working in the yard today, and hopefully you've been that. And I know that you, how many been out today in the yard? You've been out a little outside? So it's kind of cool in this room, or it should be. Yeah. And, uh, and it's a little darker, and so I'm going to try to keep you awake. That's, that's my job. Randy, I'm going to watch you. Jen, can you help me a little bit in case if he falls asleep? Just kind of edge him right there a little bit. And if you'll help me with Chris back there in the back, I see him already, like, just posturing right there and all that stuff. So uh, anyhow, if you have your Bibles, if you turn me to, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we're continuing our series uh, on uh, basically on questions. In Genesis chapter 3, and um, I don't know, everybody's had this experience before, either as a child or as a parent, where you get separated from your child or you get separated from your parents in a department store uh, you're, or in a grocery store, and you're going along, and all of a sudden, uh, you, you, you completely realize, if you're a child, that you are lost, like you are away from. And you don't know where your parent is. You don't know where your, typically it's your mom, you don't know where she is. Or you're a parent and you've got your children. All of a sudden you've been engrossed in whatever you're doing and you look up and they're gone. Uh, I mean, they're just gone and, and you're looking for them. And, and there is this, 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 at first you begin to realize it. Then you begin to walk around because you really don't want anybody to know that you've lost your children. And that's when you really think for yourself for a minute. Maybe those leashes are not such a horrible idea that you see parents have. And, um, and then you begin to look a little bit more earnestly. Then you begin to call out. So, right, it starts with a first name, then a first and last name. Then you throw the middle name up in there, right? You know what I'm saying? And so it's happening, and the panic kind of steps in. Until finally your child emerges from the middle of a clothing rack because they think it's fun to hide. Anybody been there before? Uh, or, or whatever, or they're in sheer terror, or you hear your name being called over the speaker system, which you're morbidly embarrassed. But everybody's had that happen. As a child, if you've had that happen, you kind of feel that all of a sudden it's that separation anxiety. As a parent, all of a sudden this responsibility that I've lost my child somewhere. I have misplaced them. And, and, and there's just this this feeling, this, this looking, this, this panic, this, all of these emotions that come with this. Genesis chapter 3 gives us a, a scenario that's very similar to that and how God relates to Adam and Eve. And it's very easy to read Genesis especially, and it feels like it's in a land far, far away, like it's the opening of a, of, of a, of a Star Wars episode. I mean, it just feels like it's just eons of time away. 
And sometimes we forget or we read it so spiritually minded that we don't see the, the relationship that's involved. You have to understand that God created you and I for relationship. He did not create us for achievement. There's nothing wrong with achievement. There's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with wanting to aspire to do something or, 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 or to have a godly ambition. But, 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 but the reality is, is that we, you and I, we try to take that, um, that connection piece that God intended to connect us with him, and we try to leverage it to achieve. And God never intended us to, 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 for it to work that way. We, we, we try to leverage it in order to, to find some type of acceptance or some type of, of fulfillment or some type of only to realize that it doesn't matter how much money you have, you just want a little bit more or, or what type of title you have, you just want the next rung up on the ladder. It, 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 it doesn't matter. It's just there's just one more. One, it's this, this void. It's this humanity. It's the depravity that we all live with. And God created us for, for, for relationship. And, and, and what I mean by that is if you read Genesis chapter 1, you see how God speaks the world into existence, and, uh, which is pretty amazing. And then you see how God creates man. And in Genesis chapter 2, he realizes that man's not good for man to be alone, and so God creates woman. And, and God performs this first uh, wedding marriage ceremony, in essence, that the two shall become one, and flesh of my flesh, and bone of my bone. And, and, and the Bible ends in chapter 2. I love verse 25 in chapter 2. It says it this way, and they were naked and they were not ashamed. There's, there's this complete um, sense of purity and transparency and vulnerability and openness and honestness. There's, it, it's devoid of any type of sexual tension or any type of, of, of anxiety or, 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 or self-insecurities. Um, it's, it's completely known and being known for who you are. And there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no sin. It's just well with my soul. The Bible goes on in chapter 3, and it begins to talk about the fall of man and how sin entered into the conversation. What's interesting is, is that God had a pattern. It's kind of expressed in verses 7 and 8. I'm going to get there in just a minute. But that God would walk and talk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. See, Adam, according to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 1, has a job. His job is to have dominion over this earth. His job is to have dominion over everything, every living creature on the earth. His, his responsibility is to, to lead and to, and to dominate that which God has created. It's, his responsibility is, is to, to basically be God in flesh, if you will. Not to be God, but, 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 but a representation of God because we're made in the image and likeness of God on this planet. And what God simply wants to do with Adam is he wants to have relationship. He wants to talk with them at the end of the day, at sitting on the front porch, just kind of drinking sweet tea and, and just talking about the affairs of the day. God wants to have this relationship, this knowing Adam and being known and, 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 and communicating with Adam and being communicated to. And, and you see this heart of God, this father to a child. And then sin enters into the picture. And when sin enters into the picture, everything changes. 
It's very interesting. I, I'm, I'm not even preaching about this part of it, but as I'm, as I'm reading these first three chapters and kind of researching it this week, it's interesting to me that the Bible says that in the center of the garden were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God tells Adam he can partake of anything in the Garden of Eden, this utopia. He can do anything he wants to do. He just cannot partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Never forbids him to take of the tree of life. Eve doesn't hear this because Eve's not around when God gives this command. Ladies, do not read into what I'm about to say. I've already pretexted this with my wife prior to this service just to make sure I don't get any deep weeds. She doesn't hear this. She is the one who becomes curious of taking of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's interesting to me that the tree of life is not what's attractive. It's the knowledge of good and evil. It's interesting to me that the tree of life would make them eternal. That's the reason why God banishes them. Read chapter 3. Banishes them from the Garden of Eden. Because God says to the Father and to the Son, the triune Godhead, the Trinity, He says, if we don't get them out of the garden and they eat of the tree of life, they will stay eternally in this state. It's actually a saving mechanism. They're not attracted to that. What is it about us that we're not attracted to the eternal? We're attracted to the temporal. We're not attracted to the sweet by and by. We're attracted to the here and now. I want to know what I can know today. I want to learn what I can learn today. I want the knowledge of everything that I can today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. We live so today, it's hard for us truly to delay gratification for tomorrow. It's just an interesting observation. It's interesting that Eve doesn't hear God say this. Eve is instructed this by Adam. She doesn't listen to the wise counsel of her husband. I'm just joking right there to see if you're awake. Because my wife is looking at me right now. Going, you didn't talk about this. And so she does, and so she partakes of it first, and then she gets Adam to do the same. Just it's the way it happened. I didn't write the book. Don't get mad at me. And then God shows up. And God asked this question, where are you? Look, look at this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 and following. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to man, where are you? If you write, highlight, underline in your Bible, it's a great question. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid, Adam said, because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? I love how God has this conversation, even though he knows the answer. It's like a parent to a child, right? You got into the chocolate donuts. It's all over your face, but I'm going to ask you these questions anyhow, because I'm going to try to lead you on an intelligent path not to do this again. And the man said, look at this, the woman you put here with me. Amen. No, I'm just teasing. She gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. You know, she made this pie. She put it in it. I didn't know. It's your fault, God. It's the blame game. Look at verse 13. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you've done? 
And then the woman said, it's the serpent that that deceived me and I ate. And then as you follow on, God basically decrees, here's what's going to happen. That sin now has entered into the world and life will forever be changed. It's interesting, there's this pattern that we see of sin is disobedience. And there's this pattern of, of we do things. And then questions come. And then we have a series of statements, which typically result in the blame game, kind of a shell game, hoping that we can fool God. Like a seven-year-old child with chocolate on his hands and all over his face in the empty chocolate donut container in the pantry, and a mother saying, did you do this? Nope, don't know what happened. Don't know. You have no idea? Nope. Maybe it was my sister. I don't know. It's this blame game. And then finally, as you kind of unpeel the onion, it's, well, I didn't mean to, and this is what happened, and then the tears come, and then all all this, right, and then comes the consequences. It's an interesting question. It's a question I think we should often ask of ourselves on a regular basis. Where are you? Where are you? God would say to you, where are you? Aaron, where are you in your walk with me? Aaron, where are you in your relationship with me? Aaron, where are you in what I've asked you to do with your life? Aaron, where are you in leading your home? Aaron, where are you in loving your spouse, in loving your wife? Aaron, where are you in, in, in your finances? Aaron, where are you in your commitments? Aaron, where are you in your devotion to me? It's a simple question. And God walks in the cool of the day as he had done, and he just simply wants to be with his creation. He, he simply wants to just be with Adam and Eve. He just wants to talk with them. He wants to hear how the day went. He, he, he wants to hear the adventures. He, he wants to see it from their eyes. He just simply wants to talk. He, he wants a relationship. And he just simply asked the question, where are you? Do you not know, think God knew where Adam was? Of course. You don't think God knew what had happened? Of course. He's omnipresent. He's all places at all times. He's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. He's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. And when God asks that question of us in our own spirit and our own souls, it's not that he doesn't know where we are. He's asking us, do you know where you are? It's interesting It's a harmless question. It's an introspective question, but it's a question that God asks of us. Where are you? And if you look at the response that Adam gives, it's very similar in how we respond. It's a series of statements. Statements meant to try to distance ourselves from the truth. Statements meant to try to distance ourselves from consequences. Statements that are given to try to 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 give a little bit of distance. The, the, The first thing that he says is, I heard you. I heard you. I heard you, God, and so I went and I hid because I was naked. I I, I heard you. See, this is interesting to me. I think we all hear God walking in our lives, and we all hear God speaking in our lives. I really don't think that you need for me or anybody else to point out when God's speaking. I think you know. I think the fact that you're here today 
acknowledges in part the fact that God is speaking and that God is asking of you, where are you, and that God is wanting a relationship with you. That's why you're here. Maybe you're going through a series of struggles right now and some things are really, really bad in your life and, and so you're finding your, your, your church attendance is more frequent because you need to be a little closer to God trying to get some, gain some brownie points. It's so funny how we try to do that. Maybe it's been a while since you've been at church and this has just worked out for your schedule. Maybe somebody's been on your back about going to church and so you're made to be here or you just simply said yes to get them off your back. I mean, how harmless can it be? It's, four, it's 4.30 on a Saturday evening. What else do I have to do? The clubs aren't open. I'm not going to go eat yet. Every, I've got plans later. I'll just do this and I'll have Sunday to myself. See, I really believe this. After decades of pastoring the local church, I believe this. I believe that you know God's voice. I believe that you hear God's voice. I believe you hear God walking in your life. I don't think you need me or anyone else to point that out to you. Quite frankly, I think by the time somebody comes to church on a weekend of service, they are looking for answers. They are interested in what's being said. Even if they push back, even if they argue, even if they disagree, there is the truth of God that is speaking to them that they're wrestling with. And the more um, opposed that they are to the message, probably the more prone they are to coming face-to-face to the end of themselves in a relationship with Christ. But I really do believe you hear God's voice. I really believe that God speaks. I, I think a lot of times we try to push it away. We try to avoid it. We try to avoid proximity with God. If we know that we're living in sin, if we know that we're not right with God, we try to, to get away. We, we, we don't want silence, right? Because it's in the silence that we have to listen to our own thoughts, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. David said, if I ascend to the heavens, you're there, God. And if I make my bed in hell, you're there. We, we try to avoid church because we don't want to, to, be, to, to be confronted with the truth. I think sometimes we don't like to go to churches where the minister is really going to lay it on in our lives where we live. So if I just go to a place where the guy is simply going to stand behind a lectern and read a series of notes that he can barely pronounce and that I can't understand, maybe in the confusion I will have done the brownie point thing of going to church, but I don't understand the theological implications of what he is saying. Thus, I'm off the hook because I don't get it, and maybe God's not even anywhere in the building, but I've done what I'm supposed to do. And so I try to avoid God because I don't even want to go to a place or to a church where they're going to make me sit and think about my thoughts for a moment. It amazes me in the context of modern church how people will get so wigged out about contemporary style of worship, yet no, nobody buys pipe organ music. You don't have it on your iPod. Last time I checked iTunes, it's not a top seller. Nobody's walking around and, and they're not working out to, this is just great pipe organ music and it's just so, no. But how many conversations I have with people, well, I just can't like, do church in a place. Why? Because this is how the kind of music that you listen to, the style. I mean, I listen to country music. I listen to all kinds of music. But tomorrow night in, in Arlington, they're going to have the, you know, the CMAs are going to be happening, and they will do a religious number. And you watch the response of the people, of the 70,000 people that will be in Texas Stadium. They will look and act more spiritually responsive than most churches, including Life Church, in a weekend worship service. Carrie Underwood sang one of the best 
hymns of the church. And from Miranda Lambert to, 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 to Blake Shelton to Dirks Bentley, they stood up with hands in the air. You know why? Because I know from Chicota, Oklahoma, where she comes from, they all get it. At the end of the day, they can get in any tour bus. They can go from New York to L.A. But the power of the Holy Spirit that, changed, that, that, that raised Christ from the dead dwells in that place because God doesn't dwell in a building made by the hands of man, but he dwells in the hearts and lives of men and women. And when Jesus' name is lifted up, the Holy Spirit begins to go, conviction begins to flow, and even people who are so far away from God cannot deny the presence of God. Yet we can sit in church and go, well, it's just not my style. Well, what is your style? Watch it Sunday night. I'm going to preach a whole message, and I'm going to show you the CMAs where she does this. And about six rows of half-lit people on champagne, because I hadn't got to the hard stuff yet, because it's not the end of the award show, are simply enraptured in worship. And we go, I can't do that. I go to secular concerts and see people, and they are more engaged in the music, not because of, of not because they're token weed or not because they're half-lit, but because there's something that gets in them, and they do that, yet, and yet we go, well, we're just kind of conservative in Wisconsin. Really? Have you been to Summerfest? <laughs> Bueller, Bueller, anyone, anyone. See, the reality is, is that sometimes we avoid the proximity issue with God. The next thing he says is, I was afraid. I, I was afraid. Well, why is this so common? Because it's our sin. See, when we sin, it separates us from God. And God is not the one that condemns us of our sins. It's our sin that condemns us. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. Condemnation is a perversion of conviction. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. It's the loving hand of God going, This is not the right way to go, son. Condemnation says you're a loser, you'll never, you'll never amount to anything, you'll never make it, you're not good enough, you're not fast enough, you're not smart enough, you might as well just give in to the sin. That's condemnation. And what happens is, is when we allow sin or distance to come into our life, we have this feeling of fear. It separates us. It's, it's the condemnation of our, of, of, of our own sin, and it brings shame, and it brings guilt with it. That's what Adam's doing. I, I was afraid. I heard you coming. He's never been afraid before. Why? Because he's never dealt with sin before. He says, I was naked. I, I was naked. See, nakedness is, is not a sin. Now, it is today. Don't, don't go and disrobe yourself, right? <laughs> They'll get you thrown in jail. But, but Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 says they were naked, and yet they were not ashamed. Nakedness, this is literal in this passage, but it'll be figurative as well in our context. It, it's, it shows transparency and openness and purity. It's like a toddler who wants to run around the house naked. I know I say that funny, I'm from the South, naked. Margaret, are you naked? I mean, it's just one of those. It's a Ray Stevens joke. It's a long story. I don't have time to go into it. My wife will get on to me for that later. 
But it's like a child. They don't know. There's, there's no sexual tension behind it. There's, there's no perversion behind it. They're pure. And God says, who told you you were naked? I mean, if you read verse 6 and 7, when they realize they're naked, then they have to go make the first trip to the mall. Right? They sew fig leaves together. That's why women started this whole thing, guys, and it's never ended. Just go to the mall. i got to cover this. I'll be here all week, folks. And he said, I was naked, so I hid. Hiding. That's what we do to cover our own sin. When I feel exposed, I hide. When I feel embarrassed, I hide. When I feel vulnerable, when I'm naked. If you really knew me, you wouldn't love me. If you really knew what went on in my mind, you really wouldn't accept me. If you really knew what I struggle with, you really wouldn't be okay with me. If you really knew my faults and my failures, you wouldn't be my friend. So I hide. I hide my nakedness. I hide my sin. I hide my embarrassment. I hide my vulnerabilities. I hide. I don't want you to know. I don't want I don't want to go I don't want to be out there. I don't want to be vulnerable. I'm going to get shot at. I'm going to be I'm going to be exposed. I'm 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 I I I didn't ask for this. I just am trying to follow Jesus and the more that I follow Jesus, the more that I go it goes public and the more that I do and it's a natural tendency. God says, "Where are you?" And Adam comes back and basically says, I heard you, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God says the same thing to us today. Where are you? I heard you, God, but I was afraid. I was naked. I I have no way to cover this. So I hide. I hide behind super spiritual pretenses. I, I hide behind uh, status. I hide behind, uh, uh, you know, what I do. I, I, I hide behind my own weaknesses. I, I hide behind other people. I, I, I distance myself. I, I hide because I just don't know that I want to be out there. I don't know that I want to be that vulnerable. I don't know that I want to be that open. And here's what I want you to understand. That what God wants is that vulnerability. What God wants is that level of transparency. What God demands is that we stand in his presence completely naked. Because in this situation, God brings truth. After this happens, God says, who told you you were naked? Nobody informed you. The last time I talked to you, everything was fine. The last time I, thought I talked to you, there was no embarrassment. There was no shame. There was no lack of vulnerability. There was no lack of transparency. Somebody took innocence from you. Somebody took integrity from you. Somebody did something. Who did this? 
Have you eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And then ensues this blame game. Well, it really wasn't me, God. It was the woman that you gave me. Remember, you thought this was a good idea. This really wasn't my idea, but this was your idea. And then she says, well, it really wasn't me. It was this serpent. And if you look in the rest of chapter 3, God curses the serpent, the woman, and mankind. And in verse 15 is the first messianic prophecy of the Old Testament. That the serpent will strike his heel but he will crush the serpent's head. Jesus will die on the cross, but he will overcome death, hell, and the grave. He will crush the head of Satan. It's all decreed right there. Because God brings truth. Why? Because truth is the only thing that will set you free. Hiding will not set you free. You think hiding will set you free, but hiding will not set you free. Truth will set you free. Truth will bring transparency. Truth will bring healing. Truth may cut you going in, but it will heal you going out. And it's a truth that allows you to hear God. It's a truth that allows you not to run from Him. It's the truth that allows you not to hide yourself from Him. Because that's what the enemy wants you to do. The enemy wants you to, you're okay that you hear God, but he wants you to hide from Him. He wants you to run from Him. He wants you to cover up yourself from Him. He wants you to be fearful of Him. When all God wants to do is take care of you. You know the reason why, if you read the rest of chapter 3 at the end, that they make them leave the Garden of Eden is not because God didn't want to bless them, but it was simply because if they get a hold of the tree of life, they will live in this condition forever. And there's a way, and his name is Jesus, and he will pay for their mistake. Even God banishing them from, from, from Eden is not a punishment. It is redemption. It is salvation. But there are ways that seem right to us, but the end thereof is death. So Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. So today, I just want to take a moment to reflect on this question. This is a question I think we should ask ourselves regularly. Where am I? This is a question that we should take time and the silence or the solitude and reflection and hear the voice of God the Father call you by name and say, Aaron, where are you? Why are you here? What are you doing? Who told you? Where, where are you? 